<clears throat> you know, um, I never used to think so much about my favorites, uh, but when you sign up and, and get online for different accounts today, you have to always put in three security questions usually to confirm if you forget your password or whatever. And, and so uh, as I've been doing that, that's usually the thing I will choose as a favorite something because that I can remember that. <laughs> you know, I can't remember a lot of things uh, that they ask about. And so uh, I, I've been thinking about my favorites, you know, through the years. And, and so now I've, I've got them kind of crystal clear. Like my favorite color is purple. Uh, I used to preach with a purple Bible until I blinded a couple people with it. And, and so now I, I've gone back to the old black. Uh, my favorite beverage, you've been around here a while, you probably know. Iced tea, right? It used to be sweet tea, but, uh, you know, as I got older, I had to watch my waistline a little more so I don't do so much sweet anymore. That gives me room for some of my favorite food. <laughs> and my favorite food is, at first service, somebody said, Chick-fil-A. And they're right. All the ministers this week on our trip, they got tired of seeing every time we went to pass the Chick-fil-A, we had to turn in, right? <laughs> but no, I, I think my favorite food is cornbread, which I had plenty of this week. Now, not that cornbread that you put sugar in. That's dessert, right? That's not real cornbread to me. Uh, cornbread to me is, is the good old kind. And uh, that, yeah, that gives you a lot of detail, doesn't it? The good old kind, right? My favorite movie is The, the Man from Snowy River. You're like, what? Check it out. It is an awesome movie. It's about 30 years old, but it is a great movie. Uh, and we always tell our daughter Jessica, she was named after a character in that movie. And so there you go. Think about your favorites. But even more, for our time together, I want you to think about, and this might be hard for you, to think about your favorite attribute of God, your favorite quality about God or of God. It might be, and that's kind of hard, it might be his love. I mean, how could you not appreciate that, that, that he loves us even when we're unfaithful to him. He loves us even when we don't acknowledge him. It might be his grace, that there is nothing we can do that he would not still want to be our father. It might be his goodness. Again, one of those qualities that God is consistent in even if we do our best to be bad to him. But I think for me, because it, it's kind of all-encompassing, because for this it means that I can always know that God takes care of me and, and God's going to make good things happen in my life. It, it, for me, it's God's sovereignty. Now, sovereignty is not a word we use too much, but it basically means in charge, in control. And the Bible tells us over and over that, that God is sovereign. God created everything. God is sovereign over everything. So that means, very practically speaking, even if you can't hear God, even if you don't feel the presence of God, you can know that God is still watching you. God is still wanting to provide for you. God still wants to take care of you. Uh, these old-fashioned doors maybe give you some insight, some illustration of what I'm talking about. Yeah, what, what our problem is uh, that we are very much creatures of emotion, and we're very much creatures of experience, and, and we want to know what we want to know. We want to have the answers to our questions. But I will say to you, as we see life, it's like looking through one of those old doors that had a little keyhole. You look to see what's beyond, and, 
And you can see through that keyhole, but how much can you see? Just a very little sliver of what's on the other side. And I will say to you, uh, what we can know if we understand that God is sovereign is God has on the other side all figured out. God has a plan and purpose for each of us. God intends to bless us. It works as we come to faith in him, as we believe in him. So what I want us to think about today is the sovereignty of God and even more, your view of God. How big is he to you? Is he bigger than your struggles? Is he bigger than your pains? Is he bigger than your problems? Is he bigger than your trust in yourself or your career or your bank account? See, we've come in our study of Genesis uh, 40, uh, the, the latter half of Genesis, talking about the life of Joseph, a chapter which it just blares out to me the sovereignty of God. We see Joseph amazingly still trusting in God, still believing in God. As chapter 41 opens, uh, Joseph has been in prison for two years. Hey, Stephen talked to you about last week, chapter 40, where he, he actually helped some fellow prisoners, uh, one of which re- helped, received it, one which didn't. He blessed others, yet God continued to let him languish in prison. God must have seemed silent. God must have seemed like he wasn't aware. But all we get from the scriptures is that Joseph continued to believe at a young age. Joseph lived a life of faith. He sowed seeds of faith. And so we see his sovereignty, God sovereign in this story. And we're going to kind of look at seven signs of God's sovereignty in this passage Seven signs of, of God's sovereignty over Joseph's life. And, and then I'll bring some practical applications to bear as we close. <clears throat> the first thing we see in chapter 41 is God gave Pharaoh two dreams. God gave Pharaoh two dreams. Now, God can work with people uh, that believe in him and people that don't. Uh, God can work situations uh, in which he uses ungodly people and things to do his will, to accomplish his will. And that's what we see happen here. But it is God that enters into the picture. God that gives Pharaoh the dreams. Beginning with verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. And when out of the river, there came up seven cows. Now listen, I, when you read scripture, it is going to be dull and boring to you. If you don't do what I do, I, I try to, to get into the scene and, and think about this. I mean, these are some, some big old fat old cows. You know, they're sleek and fat. Uh, they grazed among the reeds. They were like, you're thinking T-bones, right? Or ribeyes, whatever your favorite cut is. After them, seven other cows. Now, these are just the, I wonder what Pharaoh ate the night before he had these dreams, right? Aren't there some things you eat and you can't, I mean, like you have the terrible dreams. You can't sleep because you're thinking up all kinds of weird stuff. Seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile. And stood beside those on the riverbank. I always, when I read that, I think about the dogs I saw in the mountains of Panama when I was there on a mission trip. I mean, these were the most scrawny, emaciated dogs. They wonder how in the world they were still breathing. But they kept living and kept doing what they do. Well, here you got these emaciated, ugly cows, and they stood beside those in the riverbank. So you could see even that greater contrast. Sleek and fat, nice steak, and, you know, bones covered by skin. 
But the seven cows that were ugly and gone ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Cows don't eat meat, they're herbivores. But in this dream, that's what happens. Then Pharaoh woke up. Uh, yeah, I bet he woke up. I'd be like, ah! Then he fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In, his morning, his mind, in the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. I think God speaks to us even today through dreams. Why do I say that? Because dreams come out of REM sleep. They come out of our subconscious. And God can work. He can guide us. He can give us direction in our lives through our subconscious. But I would suggest to you, I don't, that's not the only way I seek God's will for my life or seek his vision. I, I, I try to surround myself with other godly people. I try to read and meditate on his word and to, to determine his direction. But here, he's using dreams. And God sends them. God is so sovereign that he brings these dreams to bear in Pharaoh's mind. Secondly, second side of God's sovereign, sovereignty here is he, got, he reminds the cupbearer. You remember if you were here last week or you read chapter 40, the cupbearer that Joseph helped out. And, and he's talking to Pharaoh. He says, now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. <clears throat> and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was in pain. We get discouraged when we do good things, we help people, we, we are godly in serving others, and they just ignore it. Or uh, there doesn't seem to be any conse- fruitful consequences, any harvest to our, our actions. We get frustrated sometimes. The Bible says don't get, grow weary of doing good. We, when we can't see an impact, uh, we can get discouraged. And we can get apathetic. We can stop doing it, right? But here, you see, God is working. And this cupbearer, though he didn't immediately give Joseph the credit, though he didn't immediately uh, give Joseph uh, uh, credit and, and allow Joseph to bear those good consequences of his help, here God brings a memory to him. You know, God works in all of our lives through people around us in his time. It's hard for us to understand his time is not our time. But we can get that. The Bible tells me, and I believe it to be true because I've seen it happen over and over, that God always, he brings reaping where there's sowing. Whatsoever a person sows, they shall reap. Now, it might take five years. It might take 10 years. It might, you might not even see the reaping from the seed you sow, but we have a choice. Are we going to trust that? Are we going to believe that? Are we going to get discouraged? Are we going to give up doing good because we don't see the results? Here you see God's bringing that memory to bear. And so, amazingly, uh, the Pharaoh, the supreme ruler of Egypt, the man with all the power of this great country, he calls Joseph to come see him. Now imagine if you got a phone call saying, uh, this afternoon or tomorrow morning, you're, to be, you're requested to be in the presence of the president in the White House. <laughs> what would you do? You'd probably like, 
you know, dye your hair, you know, get fixed up and whatnot. Uh, you, you know, you can basically have any color hair you want these days, right? I, I think I've been thinking about getting, dyeing my hair orange. Wouldn't that be good for you to see? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not dyeing my hair. But now, what would you do if you were called in the presence of the most powerful person in the land? That's exactly what happens here. But Joseph does not fear. He trusts God. And the third sign of sovereignty we hear, see here is God gave Joseph the interpretation. We pick it up, verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Listen what he says. Note the humility here. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up scrawny and very ugly and lean. I'd never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Uh, wouldn't that be good? If God could just, you know, you eat your favorite thing and he takes away the calories. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to the Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. In other words, God is confirming it by multiplication, by making it happen twice. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. Now, that's a terrible thing to contemplate for an agriculturally-based society. Uh, seven years of famine would basically mean the whole existence of the country would, would be uh, in great peril. The population would be at great risk. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Again, God is doing it. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, and, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten. And the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God. And God will do it soon. Again, God. God is sovereign. And so uh, this is divine interpretation. It is God's blessing to uh, Joseph. God gives some people the spiritual gift of discernment. Maybe you're one of those. You, you can see uh, patterns and see uh, what God's about to do. Not all of us have that gift. But here, supernaturally, God blesses him with interpretation. And Joseph gives God the credit. But not only that. The fourth sign we see of God's sovereignty is God uh, gives Joseph a wise plan. God gave Joseph a wise plan. We pick it up. And now Joseph says to Pharaoh, now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. So let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land 
to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. <clears throat> this food should be held in reserve for the country uh, to be used during the seven years of famine that will be come, uh, come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Here, what he is going on here clearly. I, I think we are to live by faith. We are to trust God for our material provision. But we also have a brain and we also have principles from Scripture that we can apply. And this is wisdom. Uh, we see it in similar places throughout Scripture. You want to know a personal financial philosophy that will work for you and your family and for your responsibilities? If you're a person that worries about the future, I'd encourage you to follow the teaching of Scripture. What's he, what's he modeling here? He's saying, take some and put it away. My understanding of uh, the Scriptures, and it's my own personal philosophy financially, is I save 10%. I give to God at least 10%, and I live off the rest. Here, the wise plan he gives Pharaoh is, <clears throat> for these good years, these bounty years, you put some back. You save some. <clears throat> so that when the bad times come, you'll be ready. So when the bad times come, you won't have nothing to feed the people. And notice in this plan, not only is Joseph benefiting <clears throat> Not only is Pharaoh benefiting all the people of Egypt, and we'll see even the Hebrew people uh, are able, even Joseph's family who's treated him so bad will be able to be saved because of this wisdom from God. A lot of God's wisdom is available to you today. It's why we learn and uh, live by his word. God takes care of us. God will take care of those who are faithful. Fifth sign we see here, <clears throat> God moves Pharaoh to promote Joseph. Now, that's amazing. Uh, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made this all known to you. So Pharaoh's like a lot of us. He asks a question, then he answers it himself. There's no one so discerning as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. It's quite a promotion. I remember 17, at 17, Joseph is rejected. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. He, he virtually leaves his homeland. And, and then he's been in prison. 17, now he's 30 now. And now Pharaoh is saying to him, I'm going to put you a second in command of the whole country. And he gives him signs of authority. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of the fine linen and put gold, a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Uh, virtually, you can understand it as this. Joseph, because of his faithfulness in God. Joseph, because he continued to trust God, even though he couldn't see how God was blessing and would bless him. He trusted him, and, and for that, he's now prime minister in Egypt, second only in, in authority to Pharaoh. Now, I don't know that God has a prime ministership in, in line for any of you, but I, I do know the principle is true, that living your life by God's principles, living by faith and not by sight, will bring you blessings that you can't even imagine. 
That's what happens here. Six, we see that God caused the famine to come. You might say, that's not a, I don't like that sign. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. And then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. What do you learn more from? Is it the good experiences or the bad? God doesn't, I think, cause everything bad to happen that happens to you. But he at least allows it. Because he is sovereign, he could, he could make it to where nothing bad ever happened to us. But he gives us free will, which is the source of a lot of our troubles. And even more, I think God allows those hard times, those troubles to come so that we can grow the qualities of faithfulness, so that we can grow in patience and perseverance, in steadfastness, in faithfulness. And then we see the seventh sign. God gave Joseph two sons. Now, oftentimes people just read over this. But for me, this is kind of the heart of this whole chapter. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, a daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. That is a remarkable statement. In Hebrew, that is, Manasseh is the word for forget. In other words, Joseph, because of his faith in God, is not dwelling in the past. He's not dwelling in the past mistakes of others, the past betrayals and hurts from others. He instead chooses to forget. Now listen, I know bad things happen to good people. Maybe you're in the midst of bad things. Or maybe you're in the cusp of it. Maybe you're just coming through it. We have a choice to dwell and to live in that place, or we have a choice to move past it. It's not belittling it, but let me say something to you I want you to, to hear clearly. We can move on from things we never get over. God wants us to move on from things that we can never get over. In other words, it's hard to forget them. He names his son forget, but, but it's hard to forget those things. But Move on, you must, or they will continue robbing from you joy. They'll continue robbing from you energy. They'll continue robbing from you all of the good things you could accomplish as you're faithful to God, as you let him work in your life. The second son, he named Ephraim, and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Do you hear the principle? You forget and focus on planting. You focus on sowing. You, you don't be paralyzed by the past. You trust God, even if you don't have all the answers. You trust God and determine to be faithful to him, to be fruitful for him, and then God works. God shows up. Maybe not in your timing, but God shows up. And that's exactly what he does. He names his sons because we Need to hear that. So let me give you three practical applications as we wrap it up. <clears throat> the first is this. I think all of us need to expand our view of God. You need to expand your view of God. I think it's very easy to get focused on our lives, on everyday things. It's very easy to, if not directly, indirectly think, well, you know, this problem is, 
too big for God. We, we have a choice to how big a box we put God in. And I will say to you, I don't think there's a box big enough to put God in. I, I have learned, even though I am a skeptic by nature, I have learned through the years to give my cares and my worries to God, to give my problems to God, and to trust that he will show up, to trust that he will live out, Romans 8, 28, for God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see that here in Joseph's life. If God is sovereign, there's not a big enough box to put him in. So what is your view of God? What is your view of God in relation to your life right now, to your marriage right now, to your workplace, your career right now? Something to think about, something to be challenged by. Second application I would share with you is to sow seeds of faithfulness, to sow seeds of faithfulness. I'll tell you, so oftentimes we're thinking about the fruitfulness, but you can't control fruitfulness. I mean, I'm saying agriculturally, you can do everything right and still the harvest not come up. But you can, you can determine every day to be faithful. You can determine every day to do things, to live your life, to make your choices God's way. And we see Joseph doing that. Even though he spends years in prison where God seems like he's absent God seems like he doesn't know or see his faithfulness. He continues to be faithful. That's an encouragement I see from this story that we can put in place in our life. Be faithful. Do what God would have you do. Trust God, even if you don't have all the answers. And then third, <clears throat> appreciate the harvest. Appreciate the harvest. See, our human nature is to think about what we don't have, to think about what's wrong. When I think we should be a people who celebrate God's showing up, who celebrate God's blessings, who celebrate when the fruit comes up, when the harvest comes up, we celebrate that. And even more, we remember it. Because remembering the fruit, I think, keeps us faithful. It gives us motivation. It inspires us to continue to trust. You know, as you look at things, you have different perspectives, in photography, uh, zooming in and zooming out gives you a different perspective. You know, I was looking at, in preparation for this, uh, listicle. You know what listicles are on the internet now? that You go to a site, Yahoo or whatever, and they have like 10, 10 celebrities who look terrible now, right? Or one of those. Now, that's not the one I saw. That wouldn't be any good for the sermon. This one was uh, five, or 15 landmarks zoomed out. It was intriguing. And the one that, that moved me the most was a shot first of the Taj Mahal. If you know what the Taj Mahal is, it is this beautiful, it's probably the most beautiful ornate building. It's at least in the top three of, that man has ever made. Huge. With, filled and covered with precious metals and uh, there's no telling how much money it would take today to build this Taj Mahal. It is amazing. But then the next shot is zooming out. And you know that as they zoomed out, the Taj Mahal is surrounded by barrenness 
and poverty, slums. What a contrast. I will tell you, we spend a lot of time, too much time, thinking about things of this world, our money, our position, our power, not realizing that all of us have a sphere of influence around us. And the converse is true, and that's where I'd like to leave you today. You might look at your life and see poverty. You might look at your life now and see barrenness. You might see the problems and the trials. But I tell you this, if you zoom out and you live and plant seeds of faithfulness, then I think God's going to do some beautiful things. Uh, The Bible tells me that God works through the people of faith to create masterpieces. Both here and for eternity. John 14 says that God has prepared for us a a place, a mansion for us to live in, heaven. But even more, the Bible tells me that if I live my life pleasing God, if I live my life sowing seeds of faith, then God brings a little bit of heaven right here to earth. Both blessing me and me blessing others. It's all about really your perspective, isn't it? It's all about really your view of God. And so I ask you today, how big is your box? Fathers, we think about these things. I thank you that you don't let us be comfortable. The life of faith is one of pain sometimes. One of doubt sometimes, but if we will persevere, if we will trust you even when we don't have all the answers, that just as you worked in Joseph's life here, you'll work in ours. Now, we're not going to be prime ministers of Egypt, but God, I know you have amazing things planned for each one of us if we will be faithful. Not only amazing things for us to enjoy, but for for us to bring joy to others. For us to bring blessing to others. Father, we confess that sometimes we don't give you the right perspective. We don't think about you near enough. I pray today that you've challenged us. As we go through this week, I pray that we will see there is no problem in our life too big for you. We will trust you. We will believe and walk by faith and not by sight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's ministry time. If you have a decision to make, we'd love to help you with that. Uh, I think the challenge for all of us is is very overt. Uh, Think about that this week. How big is God? Uh, He's bigger than whatever you got going on. Let's stand together and sing. If you have a decision, please come.